Welcome to Still Listening. On this month's episode, we're talking about clowning, one of potentially the oldest arts in the world. We catch up with Helen Duff, a self-professed clown, and uh, we, we, we try hard to make each other laugh a little bit. This is, a, <laughs> this is more of a light-hearted episode. Indeed. So you can, you can relax, you know. <laughs> Before you relax too much, let me tell you a little bit about clowning. As most of you know, clowning has been going back hundreds of years, uh, with jesters being a really popular idea of what a clown is. And so clowning, as a word, came from the Germanic, probably around 1500-1600, and it's been going strong ever since. What's really interesting about clowning, basically, is the way that it tells a story and the kind of humor that it is. And so although the art of clowning has to some degree subsided over the last few years and a few decades, really, it's still alive and well, and clowning is basically the observation, physicalized, where audiences see the silliness and congruity and absurdity of life in motion. And so it's this kind of, yeah, it's basically the, the kind of duality of this. So it's like seeing a piano on stage and someone has a, a stool 10 feet away, let's say, and rather than moving the stool to the piano, they push the piano to the stool. And we can recognize oh, that's silly. What's silly about that? Well, just seeing that, you know, again, it's just that kind of understanding that that is... The wrong way around. The one, yeah, yeah. It's like a topsy-turvy world, isn't Exactly, it? yeah. The world of the clown. Yeah, and so everything's sort of exaggerated or big or, mm -hmm. or sort of inverted, almost. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, what, what's easy is made really hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even funnier is, you know, maybe you watch an entire performance and then there's this big climactic thing that's really difficult and suddenly it's very easy. And that suddenly becomes funny after watching them struggle for right, right. all this time, you know? And so it's this kind of constant inversion. And that's sort of the, the fun of the clown. Well, in which case, we should introduce someone who might actually be a funny expert. Yes, I caught up with Helen Duff when she was touring with her show Come With Me at the Oxford Old Fire Station. This was just before she went up and did her run at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, yeah, and so we're, we're in her green room. Uh, this is a couple of hours before she goes on stage. So you just came from the London Clown Show? Yeah, What's London Clown Festival. Festival, sorry. Yeah. Okay. And I was doing Come With Me there. And what was it like? The festival was fantastic. Gosh, such a great thing. It's run by two guys, uh, Dan Lees mm -hmm. and Henry Maynard. And they really went for it. Like They just created this thing because it needed to happen. So they made it happen and got so many people involved. I think... People were actually sort of baying to be involved once people knew about it. Right. I got really lucky because I was doing a workshop with Dan and with friends from before doing that workshop anyway. So he invited me to apply, which was great because if I hadn't been encouraged to, then I'm sure my slot would have got nicked because loads of people really wanted to be part of it. Because there's so many people doing this kind of work now. Mm -hmm. I think understandably because it's when it works, it's really magic. So how many performances have you done of Come With Me so far? Well, I did, I did it as a work in progress in Edinburgh last right. year in a horrible, hot and quite regularly flooded tent on the free fringe. Not really going to tell anyone, is it? Oh, uh, not going to tell anyone. <laughs> like, if any, I was like a rat in a hole. I was like backed up again, you know, because it was so <laughs> tiny. And often, like, people were passing out from the heat because the sun directly onto this tarpaulin meant that it was like right. a, a sauna. You weren't just sending people to sleep? No! <laughs> And anything but, they were so physically engaged, they just couldn't keep up because of the heat. That was the only reason. Yeah, so I did it then. And it got to a point 
uh, really quick. It got to a level where it had to be quite big and quite loud in order to keep people, yeah, mm -hmm. because the noise from outside was so huge. It was in a beer garden and there were loads of kids running in and out all the time. So you had to really cut anything that wasn't like deeply engaging or immediately like, boom, yeah. watch this. But that, then as a result, it, then as a result, all <laughs> yeah. subtlety is gone and you don't get to play with the stuff that's slightly more exposing emotionally. Mm -hmm. So there was a big bit of the ending that I wanted to work out that I couldn't do really during the festival. And then I went to, and then I didn't do it for ages, and I went to Perth in January, Perth Fringe, and that was great. I did it for a week there in a really nice space. Mm -hmm. And it was up and down. I think maybe that's something I just have to accept because clown-based work is like that. If you want to be, if you want to get the super highs that you get when you're just like riffing off the cuff and people are really engaged and there's a lot of interaction and you're finding stuff in the audience and coming up with new things yourself, that's like the best, the best version. And you also have to have the times when you're like, oh God, I'm coming up with nothing funny. The audience has no faith in me and I feel like I've made a... a a real mistake even becoming a solo performer let alone choosing to use clown <laughs> which is really vulnerable and exposing and haphazard let alone deciding to do it tonight all nights when I've like you know I've come from work or I haven't slept or I oh, I just don't even like anybody and I really would right. like to just be in my bed you know that whole thing <laughs> so it's quite yeah and I think I had, a, I had a bit of that on Saturday <laughs> night so I was really yeah. like up for it in my head and knew that it's a London Clown Festival, everyone there is going to be there for like for a, a show that's really interactive and really open and finding stuff in the moment. And I knew that morning that I woke up, I was like, I am in the wrong place for <laughs> So I ate loads of sugar and had loads of coffee and that made me super disconnected. And then it came to it and they were all coming in and I was trying to be playful and I came outside and was like, please have a breath. And then, and then I lost faith in myself. And I, like, 15 minutes in, the mic stopped working. And I started to undermine myself by saying certain things like, oh, that didn't work. And sometimes that's funny if you're in a space that, like, you're you're like, oh, God, that's not gone. In fact, that's right. the best place to be in. Right. Oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> and you can make the most out of it. You keep if, if you're already in a low place and then mm -hmm. you go like, oh, that hasn't worked, then the audience <laughs> feel the sense of, like, the whole thing's crumbling and I'm really scared that I'm going to go down <laughs> this ship. Do you think it takes a kind of generosity of spirit then to want to go out there and make people laugh? Hugely. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, you're right, that's the important thing. I think it's strange. You have to come from a place with this work in particular where you have a trust in yourself as being good enough. So mm -hmm. you're not asking the audience for anything. Like I think maybe on Saturday right. night I didn't, I didn't believe in myself. I wasn't confident. So then what it comes across as as if you're asking for reassurance from the audience and they don't really want to give you that. They want to see somebody mm -hmm. who is uh, really has that essence of like, fuck it. Mm -hmm. um, anything I do could fail any time and probably will, but fuck it. Mm -hmm. Like, how fun can that be? Mm -hmm. Whereas I think, uh, yeah, when it becomes sort of uncomfortable, and I know that people find interactive work really uncomfortable in their heads, they're like, ah, show involves interaction. I'm not up for that because it feels yeah. like I'm making the show. It's my responsibility. Mm -hmm. No. When it's going well, the audience are like, wow, this person is so brave and brazen. I really want to be in on this. Yeah. That's the ideal, I think. Has it always been, have you always done this style of comedy? This? Yes. You say it's a facet, the clown. I would say itself. because I did clowning at Lambda. I went to Lambda, drama mm -hmm. school. We did one term of clown. 
and I loved it so much. So good that I wrote that in my hand. I've just seen that I wrote avocado in my hand, which is like an essential prop that you always get to buy. Last minute, the amount of time somebody's had to run out and buy me an avocado. We once tried this bit, this, the bit that requires an avocado. Basically, it's yeah. the end, and I have to be wanking on stage. Okay. So I use an avocado. I've definitely done that. Half an avocado, yeah, <laughs> to. And um, although I, I thought, and anyway, once we had to use a bap because it was the only thing we could source and it just didn't work the same way at all. <laughs> a brown bap, it wasn't, no, it wasn't at all the right way. But I thought about today, because sometimes I feel like people go, like, this is too much for me. And that's kind of okay because it is a bit full on. But I kind of wanted to say, you know, I'm using this avocado, I have to use this avocado. There is an explanation for why it's on stage. Yeah. It's, I'm ending is like this female orgasm workshop that I actually went to. And you were supposed to ring along a power object, and I had not read the blurb properly. So I had half an avocado in my handbag, so I got that out. <laughs> so that is true, so I did get that out, but then it becomes like a kind of like stand-in, I guess, for my own vagina, so that I'm not actually wanking, because I think that would be too much. But I might say to the audience tonight, like, I just want to check, and I know this is quite full-on, but the only other option would be me to actually do it myself, and I do feel that my vagina has already been through enough. <laughs> As it is, because it gets quite attacked, like yeah, like in terms of the language that I use about it and mm-hmm. the stories that I tell. So the avocado is a quite, quite yeah, important. a good standing. Yeah. Plus, also you'll see, like it gets quite brutal. Well, not brutal. That sounds like I'm being really boisterous. I mean, the point is that I'm sort of going really hard at this avocado okay. because yeah. during the workshop there was a huge amount of pressure to like suddenly be <laughs> going for your life. Oh, thank God, there's a stone in the middle. Exactly I mean, that. Exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> Do get things in once. Once I in Edinburgh when I was in that tent because I just tried whatever I could to make the show work. The ending never seemed to work, and I think it's probably because it is supposed to be a complete shambles, and I'm supposed to feel really uncomfortable. I think that's what I discovered at the end. Yeah. But I used to get an audience member up to be me. Okay. Because I thought that would be better. I thought people would feel more comfortable if it wasn't me, mm-hmm. so exposed. I mean, that you sure. can hear that exactly. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one guy was going at the avocado, and he put his like whole hand through the avocado. It was really funny because I was just like, "Mate, <laughs> you totally decimated my vagina." <laughs> and it was funny. Yeah. It was so funny. lots of fruit. Lots of fruit. There's a lot of this room honks of bananas, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because basically, people. Uh, in the survey that I did all about sex mm-hmm. online anonymous I asked them what does it feel like to orgasm and one of the responses that came back was it's like eating eight mangoes at once <laughs> so I can't afford eight mangoes for any any I like I, I, in the show I say I can't afford eight mangoes for every single show I can't afford eight mangoes for a single show <laughs> surprisingly this isn't that financially viable I don't think I've had eight mangoes t- Total in my life. Well, of course, yeah. nobody has. Yeah. That's why they've compared it to an orgasm because it's like ridiculous yeah. amounts of pleasure. So I've gone for bananas essentially, which okay. I don't think equates. By the end of Edinburgh, my whole mouth was like swollen. That's a different kind of feeling. And I, I would react quite violently to the bananas. <laughs> I couldn't handle them. I couldn't handle them. But I do quite like bananas, so I do find myself quite regularly yeah. having a banana by accident before the show. And I'd be like, oh, for God's sake. I just upped my, I tri- tripled my intake. Yeah. Oh. Um, so do you think that... I was reading an article that you posted on your Twitter about how everyone should be clowning in some way or everyone can use clowning in their lives. Interesting. So, um, to relish in their failures, basically. Yeah. So, what do you think about that? I definitely think that uh, clowning has saved me from myself in the sense that, or from my self-doubt. I mean, that still exists. That would be a lie to say that doesn't exist. Then what do I mean? Like the darkest times, mm-hmm. I guess. 
mm-hmm. being able to laugh at them, being able to make something, uh, make art out of them, or mm-hmm. make something fun and ridiculous. Yeah. I think clowning is innate in children and in grandparents. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That connection between, oh, yeah. like, when a grandparent is making a child laugh and, like, maybe they've cut themselves so a grandparent, like, pretends to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Or, or, I mean, even my... I found my granny very funny. I don't think she intended to be at all. But, like, when she was in real pain, she'd be clowning. Yeah. Uh, not consciously, but, like, she'd, you know sort of be doing this little dialogue with herself whilst like groaning and being nobody cares about me but like deliberately doing it right. sort of tongue in cheek yeah. and so we'd be half laughing half being exactly like... that stuff yeah. yeah relishing in like the shittest bits yeah. I think there's a slight crossover there with Buffon because mm-hmm. a clown is supposed to be always upward energy always optimistic and I think a Buffon can be quite dark and menacing and I think maybe I mix the two a bit but yeah, I guess clowning is always, always has this idea that whatever happens, you can find the fun, you can find the play within it, and everything is everything is passing, everything is a game, mm-hmm. which makes it sound like you're being extremely flippant. You're not really. You're just recognizing that emotions, feelings, incidents are transitory, mm-hmm. and life rolls on. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. Is it? Is it? Can it ever go too far? Do you think? Um, it depends on the spirit with which you do something. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, case in point, on Wednesday I tried some material that was all sort of coming off the top of my head, but I had been thinking about it. And it ended up being about perverts. Mm-hmm. So I, like, I just started playing with that word, really, and what that means and what it happens when you call someone a pervert, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And because it was really off, like, out of... And it was very playful and stupid I was I was an idiot you know mm-hmm. I was like a kid shouting pervert in the playground who doesn't know what that means mm-hmm. and who really enjoys the word and thinks it's hilarious or pisses himself and then you know a teacher might see that and secretly inwardly like laugh because it is funny to see but then outwardly they have to be like don't say that Johnny you don't know what it means <laughs> that whole thing so I was kind of like that but then when I tried to repeat that deliberately a bit like a bit too intentionally on yeah. Saturday it wasn't funny at all and it seemed a bit like coarse and crass so I really think it depends on yeah the the clown spirit is Mm -hmm. very much the kind Mm -hmm. of the form the the lightness of touch with which Mm -hmm. you do something as opposed to necessarily being prescriptive about material or subject matter yeah yeah so I guess like moving to that naturally instead of like poking fun at something Mm, yeah like a buffon is more directly on the nose political Mm -hmm. or satirical Mm -hmm. they're more conscious of what they're doing Mm-hmm. They're more. They do things with intent. Whether it whereas a clown would be more stumbling into something idiot, doesn't understand the context or the content particularly. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure. I'm not sweating, by the way. I'm self lubricating. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure. I mean, Beyonce knows. Hillary Clinton, they've all made it quite clear that in order to be a fully empowered 21st century lady boss, you've got to be coming all over the shop. <laughs> Regardless of whether you're in the queue at Quick Fit or you're having your dentures redone, you know? You need to make sure you floss more. Whoosh! <laughs> the women, women have fought long and hard for an equal right to fiddle with themselves in public. And it would be churlish of me to just sit back and say, no, you know, I've, 
I've had it. I've had it. It's never going to happen for me. I never be. I never be. I never be eating an activity of known and suddenly see Jesus. I never. I never be. I never be sitting on the bus, listening to Michael Bublé and bursting into song because I've come all over the woman next to me. Churlish. Churlish. So that 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 negative attitude that's going right that's going right out the. Bullsack tonight, shooting straight out. Because tonight, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I am going to become orgasmic. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you're excited because you're all going to be able to help me do it. <laughs> okay, so, first thing I did on my quest towards Ultimo Pledge was to start self identifying as a sperm. My certainty that I would never come had become a fear that my partner wouldn't come because I wasn't coming, which came to become such a barrier against me ever coming that I just decided to become come. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Recreating other people's orgasms is not necessarily going to guarantee me a massive hubbity, hubbity, who let Martin Clunes in here? <laughs> but I am fascinated by other people's sex lives because I haven't really had one of my own. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've had sex. Helen's just finished a full run at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. She was on at the Pleasant's Courtyard performing Come With Me. Keep an eye on her website for updates. That's helenduff.com or catch up with her on Twitter at DuffMarvel for hopefully a tour of Come With Me in the autumn. Thanks very much to Helen. Seeing as the theme of this month is clowning, we thought we would take a little segment of the podcast to have some fun of our own. We did. We had previously agreed to research jokes and tell them to one another in this part. <laughs> However, <laughs> someone, else, well, someone else got a little bit sidetracked. Might have been me. <laughs> but we think that the, uh, that the talk will be much more balanced as a result. So I have, I've got up my sleeve here some jokes. I've categorised them into good, bad and ugly. Can't and I'm wait. quite pleased with, with what came up. I can't wait to hear it. Okay. So do you think we should start with good? I think, yeah, I think we should set the bar for what is a good joke. Okay, got it. I hope how, we had the same however, idea. However subjective, <laughs> yes, that might be. It's going in at the deep end, I will say it's quite heavy. Okay, lay it on me. A psychiatrist says to her patient, don't worry, you're not deluded, you only think you are. <laughs> I think that deserves the label of good. Yes, so do I. I think it's because of the paradoxical twist of meaning. Indeed. Yeah, I think it's... <laughs> so that you can be at once deluded and not deluded. I agree. I think it's that nice... It's just clever, isn't it? It's that realisation mm -hmm. after. Drawing attention to the way... The mysterious ways that our minds work. So what... Uh, yeah, what then would be a... A badge. Well, I've actually got more than one in each oh, category. Oh, <laughs> yeah, oh, I really went to town here. Okay, great. You As you can up, imagine, you, uh, I had quite a lot of fun. Yes, that's true. That's true. So we've got another good one here. All right. Everybody. Get ready. I like to play chess with old men in the park, though it's hard to find 32 of them. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think made you laugh about that one, Zach? Mm. <laughs> 
I don't know, for me maybe, just the incongruity. And I also realise I'm not totally sure. Are you, are you trying to say that you don't get it? Partly, yeah. So I like to play chess with old men in the park. Yeah. What's the image that you have there? One-on-one. Sitting at a bench. Sitting at a bench. Yeah. Yep. Though it's hard to find 32 of them. Yes, is an old man per piece. By which he means y- <laughs> use the old men as pieces oh. in a giant <laughs> game of chess. Oh. Really but a second time round? Yeah, definitely. At least for me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just I wonder how many people got it. They're listening. Exclusive. Yeah, me too. Write a comment on the me podcast too. if you got it. <laughs> okay, so now we're moving on to bad. Mm. I've I've got three in this section. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I should whistle it down. What's Whitney Houston's favourite type of coordination? No idea. Hendaya. <laughs> Coordination. Hand eye. Oh, hand eye. <laughs> too caught up in the hand pop. Hand yeah. I really okay. went for that. You did. <laughs> you did. You did. And you left me behind. <laughs> What's the number one cause of divorce? Oof. Marriage. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Cutting. A little bit. Why does Wally wear a striped shirt? Uh, one wonders. Because he doesn't want to be spotted. <laughs> <laughs> Wordplay. Wordplay. Boom boom. <laughs> and now we're on to ugly. He said, "When you're dead, I dance on your grave." She said, "Good, because I'm being buried at sea." <laughs> that's that's your kind of joke. It's actually quite good. Yeah. That's like macabre. That is. That is. But it's ugly though. Oh, it is. It is unpleasant. <laughs> Actually quite clever. Amy's so, so mean. Yeah, but it's a good joke. <laughs> what happens at the end of that joke? Mm, a lot of silence, probably. Oh. <laughs> what did the perverted frog say? <laughs> no idea. Rabbit. Ugh. <laughs> I think that's my favourite of the day. And, yeah, alright, fair enough. <laughs> I hope I retain at least one of these. <laughs> and I hope it's that one. <laughs> I, I have a feeling it will be that one. <laughs> <laughs> echoing through the years. Okay, this one is going a bit far, but we have to include one because, you know, that's... It is, yes, it is a type that's, of joke. It is, yeah. <laughs> so, what does a cannibal do after dumping his girlfriend? What? He wipes his butt. Knew it! <laughs> <laughs> did you? I had a feeling. How did you know it? You had uh, a friend. Well... <laughs> uh, no, I just think, you know... There's a lot of emphasis on dumping. The way that I said it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think wow. it's just quite an emphatic word. It is, it? it is true. It is hard to yeah, not focus on it. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah. They all brought a smile to your face. Indeed. And uh, <laughs> play on lots of different intricacies of our society, I think, and our language. So. Yeah, it's good. It's funny how some of the bad jokes are better than the good jokes, quote unquote. What makes you say that? Because you understood them. Well. <laughs> yeah, the worse they got, the easier they were for me, which is funny. Yeah. Well, there's, I think there is jokes that are just more immediately, you get them quicker. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe that's what makes a joke bad. It's having like an obvious nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that you could guess if you yeah. worked hard enough. I don't know if you could guess that Whitney Houston one. I don't think <laughs> I certainly. I guess the Whitney Houston one. 
Uh, I'm going to throw one in there and you can edit it out if you want. Okay. But it's a, it's a joke for all the writers okay. out there. That's right. Written by Spike Milligan, who I'm pretty sure is the guy that does those like kind of quirky greeting cards. Okay, yeah. And then he moved into journals and diaries. Right. He says, I thought I'd read, I thought I'd read a Shakespeare poem. And then I thought, why should I? He never reads any of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> I think if Shakespeare was around today, he'd probably read Spike Milligan's greeting cards. I like the idea of a world where Shakespeare is earning royalties off of lines stolen from, not stolen, bought from his plays, written greeting cards. I'm just down you... No, just, I just like it. Oh, okay. So different. That's kind of different to what we were talking that about. That is then. sorry. That's oh. just my immediate <laughs> thought was the world he created. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't just be greeting cards that he'd be making making royalties from, would it? Probably, probably wouldn't notice. He probably wouldn't be on this planet. He probably he have his own planet. Have his own. He would have bought Mars. That would really be a play in a round. I'm all about it today. You are. I'm all you about are. it. You've warmed up. So what have you got then? What have I got? I have. <laughs> Um, something slightly different of what I think makes a good joke. <laughs> Probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is basically what makes a good joke. And for me, it's what we're talking about very briefly about a good joke is it's not obvious at first. Mm-hmm. And like what's satisfying is that kind of like half second pause and then it kind of hits you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have a clip from what I think is one of the f- funniest movies which is Dr. Strangelove. Okay, and very good. It is just a very short, obvious thing, but very good. And so I'll play it now. Try B8654-3 Moscow. Yes, sir. You would never have found him through his office, Mr. President. Our premier is a man of the people, but he is also a man, if you follow my meaning. <laughs> what did you say? I said Premier Kissoff is a degenerate atheist. Mr. Mr. President, I formally request that you have this ignorant proof. I'm sorry, Mr. President. I think they're trying the number. You So it plays on the incongruencies. It's quite good. Wordplay in Congress. Yeah, it's a nice bit of both. Where sticking to the rules means you can't do the one thing they imply. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <it's okay. laughs> Yeah, so I think that is an example of like kind of a perfect joke. Where it's quick, not too quick. Like it's just quite clever. Well, that's ironic, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so maybe for me at least, maybe irony mm-hmm. is like part of a perfect joke. Should we say something ironic? <laughs> <laughs> this has been a really comprehensive talk about humour. <laughs> come to the funny experts yeah. <laughs> next time you're wondering whether to laugh or not and why <laughs> and that's it for us until next time we're still listening don't forget to like us on facebook share us on soundcloud or rate us on itunes until next time